Right, um, today I'm going to talk, uh, con continue to talk about the heart of man. I'm going to talk about the heart of man and just the heart of God. You know, how our heart links up and is supposed to link up with the heart of God. What is the heart of God? What is the heart of God's existence? What does everything revolve around? The heart of man, the heart of everything we we have and do is supposed to be a certain message, a certain word. That word would form what you believe and that would be from where you would live. Now when we talk about the word of God, and I want to just lay, the, lay this down as a foundation, when we want to talk about the word of God, many times we take our good King James Bible or O Afrikaanse or Nieuwe Afrikaanse Vertaling, and, you know, I remember when I was a child, when I was scared at night, I would take my Bible and I would put it on my heart, you know, and just say, well, I want God's Word close to me. Now, I do believe that the Lord sees that, you know, and there was just this drawing, since small, in my heart towards the Bible. And I've still got a lot of respect for the Bible. But this Bible is about a certain word, this Bible is about a certain message. There's a message that this Bible wants to convey, that it wants to bring to man. And that message is called God's message for mankind, which is God's Word. So whenever we read the Bible, we must come to the bottom line conclusion that this book tries to portray a message. And what is that message? Now, um, I want to explain it by using this example. Uh, in my times of um, you know, being a pastor and counseling people, I have counseled people that has be, that's gone through tremendous things in their lives. Um, especially if you, if you think of people that was maybe molested as a child or went through some bad things as a child. And there's some interesting things that I found in the area of, and, and I'm sorry for using this example, but it's such a powerful example, and it speaks of such a powerful truth. You know, especially in the area of a child being molested. You know, um, when we would do that counseling, I found that to some people, it shaped their life. Everything fell apart, you know, their marriage cannot be healthy. The way they deal with their children is all warped up. Nothing is right, you know. And they live with a bitterness and a hatred. And that thing that happened to them years ago forms everything in their life. It becomes the heart or the core from where they live. Um, and then I would speak to other people that would have bad things happen to them. And that would be one of them. But to them, it just meant nothing. And, um, and I would ask them, you know, this bad thing happened to you, but why isn't it not shaping your life in such a bad form? You know, why isn't your life not revolving around this? And then what they would say in their normal language is, you know, it doesn't mean anything to me because it was some guy that was sick in his head that abused me, and why must I have that mean anything? Because... My life is going to be shaped around something that is anyway sick anyway. So I'm not going to have that 
have a word about me. The one person believed that even if this bad thing happened to them, it doesn't speak of them. The other person believes that this bad thing speaks of them and says that my innocence was robbed from me. I'm not innocent anymore. I'm dirty now. And what happened, what actually happened is that this action became a word, became a message. So the moment an action becomes a message, that message can enter the core of your being and cause your life to be born from it. Um, to, to put in other words is, the moment an action becomes a message and you receive that message, that action can give birth to itself in you. Um, I remember when I, was, when I was in school, you know, I was always teased, um, you know, and uh, people say, you know, Bertie, you've got these big ears, you know, and they would tease me. You know, there's only a few people with perfect ears on the planet. So, um, and, you know, I, I remember that my mom one day said to me, let, let me take you and, and we're going to have an operation so that your ears would be like everybody's ears, you know, flat against your head kind of a thing. So I, and then one day I was thinking about this and I just realized, but God made me this way. That's what I said to myself. And we were going to the doctors, we were going for all those kind of things and um, uh, uh, they had all, I mean, we had the, the date set for when the operation would be and then one day I said to my mom, I'm not going anymore. I'm a standard three or whatever. I said, I'm not going anymore. Why not? I said, God made me this way and why must I find my identity out of what other people say? And I never, obviously, you can see I never went for the operation. <clears throat> and now I can model perfect ears. So, your identity, the, the, if, if what they did could become a word to me, that word could enter the core of my being, and their belief of thinking I'm weird could give birth to my life. And that is how humans function. That is how God function. And what God has come to do is, He gave us Jesus and did something in Jesus. And when these actions that Jesus came and fulfilled and did becomes a message, then and only then can you be born from that message. Now let me explain it to you this way. <clears throat> And I think I said, I've said this many times in church, but when Jesus became a human, the Pharisees, you know, at that time when he was grown up, they believed he was a human being. They believed it. They saw him. They believe he died. The, the rulers of the Jews believed Jesus died. They even fabricated, they, they arranged his death. They went to the... Uh, Romans, they went to uh, Pontius Pilate, they went to all those people and they orchestrated the death of Christ and they saw him die on the cross. They saw the spear going into his side they, and that spear in the side was when they would take a spear and put it into the heart of that person so that he would die and not live at all. 
And they, they knew he was dead. They believed that he was dead. They even when he died, when the earthquake was there and all those kind of things, they said, surely this is the Son of God. They even believed that. Then after three days or the third day when he rose from the grave, they believed it so much that they said, let us fabricate a lie and say his disciples stole him. So they even had faith with works. If you want to take James, the book of James, and put it in there. So they believed all those things, but did that mean that they were saved? No. Because what Jesus did for them, to us, when we look back at it, it's just a historic event. It was just an event. I believe this happened. And what happened in church uh, worldwide is most of us believe in the historic event that Jesus died. We believe in the historic event that God became a human. We believe in the historic event that He rose from the dead. Even the Muslims believe Jesus rose from the dead. But what, what makes what He did powerful is if you come to a certain conclusion, if what He has done spells a certain message, there's a message written behind that. Uh, it, you know, when we come to the, when we look at Jesus and, the, and when He became, when God became a human being and we can come to a conclusion and we can't just say, you know, look at this, you know, God became a human. Wow, I wish I could be there and behold Him walking on earth. You know, after I've come to my understanding, and I'll explain this maybe a little bit later in the message, after I've come to my understanding of what Jesus has done for us, I've never wished that I walked with Jesus on the earth. That would be a bad thing, actually. Because those disciples never knew they had no revelation of what was going on. They saw all these miracles, but they never knew that that spelled the innocence of mankind. They, they walked with Jesus, but they never knew that He was their high priest, representing them before the Father. Even Peter, after the resurrection of Christ, you know, never understood the real gospel. He didn't. Only later on, after Paul the Apostle got the revelation from Jesus, he could preach to Peter, and Peter and James and all these guys, even John, could start to understand the real gospel because it was revealed to Paul. So they walked with Jesus, they saw the physical body, but they could never come to the conclusion that this man represents the human race. They never knew that he was the, the lost Adam representing everybody. And they never knew that when He died, the sin of mankind died. They never knew that when He obeyed, then everybody was uh, included into His obedience as what everybody was included in the disobedience of Adam. They could never come to that conclusion. You know, while Jesus was on the earth, that's why Jesus even said, when I go away, I'll send you the Holy Spirit and He will teach you all things. He will teach you what I am all about. So we live in the best time ever. Now, you know, 
we would so many times think, you know, if we could just have the best video cameras, or the, even if you could just have a cell phone and just make a nice video recording of one of Jesus' teachings, you know, and of the resurrection, we could really spread the gospel. Listen, if that was the most powerful way in spreading the gospel, it would have been that way. But there is a more powerful way. And the more powerful way is the inner voice in your heart where the Holy Spirit tells you that you belong to God, you are loved, you are not rejected by Him, you are the God kind, and that He embraces you and loves you. There's an inner voice that's stronger than, a, than just an historic event. There's a message behind this which the Holy Spirit is busy speaking to the heart of every human being. And what we do as preachers, we just go, or just as a person that share with somebody else, we just confirm what God is saying in the heart. So, once the gospel becomes a message, once the death of Jesus Christ becomes a message to you, a word, it becomes your heart. It becomes the heart from where you live, the core from where you live. And this is what the Bible says in Proverbs, one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 4, verse 20. It says there, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. So, the question should be, God, what is your word and what is your saying? And then the Bible says, Jesus Christ is the word of God. So, if Jesus Christ is the word of God, the question, it begs the question, the word about who and about what? Jesus is God's word about you. So what does Jesus spell? Jesus talks about a perfect human being. It talks about perfection in human flesh. That's what it talks about. And now it talks about you. So He is the Word about man. He is God's Word about you. What is the Word? You have been perfected in Him. That is the Word. Where is Jesus seated? He's seated at the right hand of majesty. He's seated at the right hand of God. He is seated in the, uh, um, He is sharing the throne of God as a human being. Now, what does that say about a human being? What is the message behind that? The message behind that is that humans, including you, have got a seat in the throne of God. That is the message. That is the word. And that is not the gospel just for the Christian. That is the gospel that must be preached to all of mankind. So that they can believe on this truth. And when you believe on this truth, you find that this truth can now be born into your life and you can be born of it. And that is exactly when we look at a baby, you know, we look at that new birth. He says, be humble and become like a child. Be humble and say, Father, I humble myself before the massive work you've done in Jesus. And I'm not here to argue. I'm not here to fight against it. But I humble myself and I say that I am righteous because of you. I am holy because of you. 
I am co-seated because of you, and your life is my life. I humble myself before the mighty word of God about human beings which speaks eternally. Amen. Jesus is God's word about your life. Jesus is God's word about your life. You know, when I, I was, those of you that went here last, two, two Sundays ago, I just came back from the United States and I was there for seven weeks. We did a, I mean, I preached so many places and I enjoyed preaching there. But if you're, um, if you do about 20 or 30 flights and you preach all those places, minister your heart out, you know, and your, I mean, your sleeping pattern gets disturbed, you come back home, time zone changes again, you don't sleep. And if you don't sleep, you become very, very tired. If you don't sleep for one, maybe you, you miss your sleep for once, you know you can become tired. But if you start to miss it for a very long time, you become tired and you become depressed. So I was just at home and I just felt depressed. Not because, you know, the devil was getting his victory. I'm just tired. That, that's all it is. I'm just tired. And in that time when you feel depressed, what helped me was to know that there's just one word about my life. There's just one word about my life. No amount of victory, no amount of people that love vertebrates, no amount of praise I get on the web or when I travel all over the world can ever define me. I would never allow it to become a message. If somebody says, Bertie, you've preached the best message I've ever heard in all my life. Bertie, when I heard your teaching on finances, my life changed. That, I don't allow that to become a word about me. In the same way, when I am overtired and feel depressed and feel just, oh my goodness, I'm so tired that I can't even think straight. I don't let that feeling be a word about me. I, don't, I cannot come to a conclusion about that. You know? And I've got a wonderful wife that helps me out of that. And she just says, Lost your nonsense, man. Come worry yourself. You know, glory to God. And then I know I'm not going to get a lot of sympathy here. I better get over this, you know. I'm home now. It's not like, oh, let's pray for you, you know. It's like, lost your nonsense, man. Come on, glory to God. I love her so much. Sometimes that's just what you need, you know. Because you, you, if we can come to the place and we realize that as what nothing good you do can be a word about who I am, in the same way nothing bad that I do can ever be a word about who I am, for God, the Almighty, spoke an eternal word which is not just words. He spoke it in such a sense that He brought forth a truth by doing something. He did something. And what He did was to take away the sin of mankind. And what He did was to unite man with God forever in one being, Jesus Christ. He did that. And that leaves us with a conclusion and a message. We can come to a certain conclusion now. And this is so beautiful, you know, the, 
The Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, I always thought, what does that mean? Why must God be a word that come and dwell among us and now it is a word again? I wish he could just live here with me in physical form. Do you know what? If Jesus could live with you in physical form outside of what he's done, he's living with you would be narrowed down to uh, uh, trying to spend time with a super anointed preacher and you'll never get to the front of the line because there's always somebody in front of you. And running again to a next service where you can be anointed with oil again. Now on the way here in the car, was on the way last night, I think it was on the way here, I, I like, man... I don't believe a preacher should be an angry preacher. But sometimes certain things make you angry. And I was just thinking about the time when we were running to services, waiting for the anointed to just put his hand upon me and just come to our service because we've got pots of oil that we can just anoint people to get some kind of anointing, you know. Where we have the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, poured out on all flesh wherein we can have a first-hand relationship with the Almighty, wherein His desire is to have a personal love relationship with you, where you could come to the, to the bottom line conclusion that His life is your life, you're fully united with Him, and you don't need nobody to put your hand, His special anointed hand on you, but where you can have your own relationship with God. Glory to God, where your life is born from Him. Glory to God, you know. So if Jesus was just, you know, living here and His life wasn't a word about me, it would be hoping that when you're sick one day, you get to the front of the healing line, hoping that you get a bit of the anointed water or the anointed oil or uh, laying on of hands. Which is not what He intended for us. It was not what He wants for us. Jesus is a Word. And I'm so thankful that He is a Word. Because a Word can enter anybody. If, if what Jesus did could be a message about us, whosoever it is a message about, that message can enter the heart of that person that hears that message. And then that Word can be born in the one that hears it, and then, the, the, then Jesus can actually live in you. Then you have your own Jesus in you. If, you can, if I can use those simple words. And the Almighty can find His life in you. I thank God that Jesus is a word. He is a human being that is a message about us. If he was just a human being with a wonderful anointing and, he did, and his actions didn't include us in the power of representation, we would have had the simple life that the Israelites had with Moses. When Moses was the man of God with the anointing, when Moses was the one that could hear from God. But thank God that Jesus didn't just come to do something for us, but on behalf of us, representing every one of us, and what is done is a word for us all. Now, 
When I get back, I'm, on the third, I'm leaving for Malaysia again, and we will just have services every second Sunday. Um, I'll be in Malaysia for two weeks, and then I'll be back until the end of the, end of the year. <clears throat> Next year, I think I'll only be leaving in May again, to the U.S. again. So um, I'll be back, but when I come back, I want, to, I, will, I want to continue to talk about this, because this is the foundation from where we bear fruit in our life. If this is not the foundation of our understanding, how will we ever bear fruit? Or how will the Word bear its fruit in us if we don't even know the Word? What is the Word? And let us just read um, John 15 here. John chapter 15. I'm going to read two verses and then I'm going to end off. Read and explain. Obviously, It says, I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman, or the farmer. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now, listen to this. He says, we're talking a little bit about fruit bearing and the heart of man. When His Word becomes the heart from where you reason, you find that your belief about yourself, your belief about your wife, your belief about your children, and everything is born from His Word. His Word spells your union with God. His Word spells no distance at all. His Word spells your holiness. Not that you must become holy, but your holiness. Glory to God. You know, when we look at the Old Testament and the types and shadows of the Old Testament, there's many ways in which these can be interpreted. One of the most wonderful things is that where we can apply directly to our life. There's a place where you can apply to your life and a place where it's applied to Jesus. It was written to Jesus. If we take the Garden of Eden and we apply it to our life, we see that man was placed in the garden called Eden. Eden means delight or pleasure. When God made man, He placed man in the garden of His delight. That's where man opened his eyes, in the place of delight. And that's where man can flourish and be fruitful and multiply. So, I want to say to you, God's Word, Jesus about you, spells a garden of God's delight, wherein you can live. Amen. That's where we start. That's the starting place. Amen. So, know this. When you think of the Gospel, when you think of the Word, let it spell God's delight over you. Let it spell God's delight over you. Another way of looking at the Garden of Eden is what Jesus came and and portrayed in John 15. He says here, I am the vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. That word take away there, we've had the idea of take away in the sense of if you don't bear any fruit in me, I'm going to take you away and then I'm going to burn you one day. That's not what it means. It's really not what it means. I've studied this out before, and I've studied it out again in this week. In the Greek there, the the word there means to expiate sin. That's what it means, to take sin away. 
to take sin up and to burn sin away. That's what it means. To those who don't bear any fruit, I forgive their sins. That's what it means. I lift you up. It doesn't say, I throw you away. He says, I lift you up. That's what it means there. He taketh away. The Greek word is to lift up. And uh, the Hebrew context, go and study it in fire Greek definitions. You can go and see it for yourself. means to end sin. So those who don't bear any fruit, He forgives all their sins. Those that do bear fruit, He was talking about those that, that uh, there He was talking about mankind. And then those that want to follow Him, what does He do to them? Those who bear some fruit, I want to follow you. What does He do with them? He goes and He prunes them or purges them. How does He purge them? How does He prune them? Verse 3, now are you clean, the same word, purge there, which, is, which means there um, uh, in, in the previous verse. Let's just read verse 2 and 3 together. It says, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away or he alleviates sin or takes away their sin. And every branch that does bear fruit, those talking about the disciples that wanted to follow him, he purges them or prunes it that they may bring forth more fruit. Now are you pruned, the Greek says, through the word which I have spoken unto you. So pruning and purging is not through hard times by God breaking your washing machine or giving you a flat tire or allowing you to drive an old car until he has purged you from your um, impatient attitude. That's not what he does. He purges us by speaking a new word. Now what that means is, that if that is the word cleanse or purge or prune, it means what is not supposed to be there, what needs to be cut off, is a wrong word, a wrong message that we got. There was a wrong message preached about mankind through the word of works righteousness, which is the message that says you are what you do, you are what job you have, you are um, what car you drive, you are what your, your bank statement tells you. Th- that message, when we take that message and we want to we, we want to define or come to a bottom line conclusion about who we are by that message, we will find that it's defined by the Bible as actually something that needs to be cut off. Or what makes you dirty. If you want to purge something or clean it, how do you clean it? How does God clean us? By changing the word we believe about ourselves. Because what makes you dirty is if you believe a wrong thing about yourself. That's what makes you dirty. So if a wrong word or works righteous, a works righteousness, works righteousness, for those of you that don't are not familiar with the term, it means where I want to work up a right to blessedness before God by obeying many commandments or laws. Where I think I need to obey principles to have a right unto blessedness before God. That kind of a 
a thought pattern will always leave you with a bottom, bottom line conclusion that you're not good enough and that you cannot qualify and that you always need forgiveness. Where the word God speak has got nothing to do with what you do, but everything to do with what He will do. If you must think of Jesus and when He read Genesis 1, how did Jesus read Genesis 1, 2, and 3? How did He see the Garden of Eden? Now I submit to you that Jesus, when He read the message of, of, of Adam placed in the Garden, He saw Himself as Adam. And there's a place where we can see ourselves as Adam, but there's a place where we can interpret it the way Jesus would have interpreted it, where He is the Adam, wherein the command to Adam is, be fruitful and multiply. Where, he, where God is the farmer, and where it is God's job to bring forth fruit, and not your job. And here we see Jesus interpreting it in that way, and He comes and explains to us how God will bring forth fruit in the earth. And how God would bring forth fruit is this way. He says here, He says, I am the vine that's planted in God's garden. And my Father is the farmer. And this is the garden of delight that He is planting. He's planting me. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He forgives their sins. And He lifts them up. And everyone that does bear fruit, He takes away every wrong belief they have. By taking away the wrong word, they might believe that they may bring forth more fruit. Now are you clean through the new message that is spoken through Christ. Abide in this word. Abide in this word and let this word abide in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in this word, no more can you except you abide in me. Do you see God as the gardener that comes into his garden, that planted a vineyard and then brought forth you and put you inside an event stock? Come I, and I plant you in. And now he, the, this uh, 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 vineyard, brings forth its fruit in you. And how the focus is not on you and how you must bring forth the fruit, but how the focus is on the farmer and how the farmer tills the ground, how the farmer does the effort, and how the farmer produced a place wherein the farmer can bring forth the fruit in you. It's all about him and what he does. The question today is where is our heart? And what is your heart? Is the heart of your life the final word that He speaks about you? Or is the heart of your life still your contribution to His salvation plan? Is the heart of your life still your effort and in what you need to do to get a smile on God's face or to get the gospel to work for you? Where's, what is the heart of your heart? And this is what he says. He says, let my word be in the center of your heart. Let my word be the center of everything you believe. 
Let my word, I'm not just talking about the Bible, I'm talking about what Jesus has done in including you in what He's done, be the center of everything you believe. Reason from there. And I'm going to end off with this verse and explain it quickly. John 12 and verse um, 22. Jesus come and he says, And Jesus answered saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now sorry, that is not the one I want to read. Why do I, I think I wrote the wrong verse down here. It is the right one. Let's just read on to verse 30. It says, Verily I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and it dies, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. And he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, um, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what will I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this hour, for, for this cause came I into this world. Father, glorify thy name. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. And others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be crucified or lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men or men's judgment unto me. Now let me explain that quickly. That is an amazing piece of scripture. The context of this passage starts in chapter 11, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And after he raised Lazarus from the dead, there was a big commotion. The, the, um, the Pharisees were so upset and the Jews were so upset because of Lazarus because everybody was starting to follow Jesus now. And they started to follow him because of this Lazarus. A lot of the time, the Bible also says that a lot of the people didn't even come to listen to Jesus but just to see Lazarus. It's written there in that very same chapter. And it was a big thing to the point that these Jews said, let us kill Lazarus. I mean, their answer to everything is death. Here, that's rough, my mind. The ministration of death kills. The answer to everything is killing. So here, he comes and he, and they say, let us even kill Lazarus. And Jesus was really enjoying a lot of um, good report in the lives of people. And he was living in this world, and he started to really have a good life in this world. And then, you know, they, they were really now starting to gather around him. And for the first time in Jesus' ministry, he's showing a lot of success. This is what's happening here. This is the context. And then Jesus comes. Um, and then you find even Greek people starting to follow him. And then Jesus said these following words. He said, Verily I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and it die, it abides alone, but, um, 
But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, he was not trying to say to us that we must hate our life. That's not the context here. The context is, he says this, he was thinking aloud and saying it. And this is what he said. He said, well, I'm receiving a lot of glory now. And a lot of people are seeing what is happening here. But if I love this life of my success in this world and I don't die, I will remain alone as the one carrying glory. But if I'm willing to die like a seed that dies and produce after its own kind 30, 60 and 100 fold, you know, if I die and I don't love this life in this world where I'm making so much success as the anointed Jesus, but I'm willing to die the sin of all people away, then what is happening now to me will happen to everyone. So let me die and go to the cross. That's what he was saying. He was talking about the glorification of man. He said, glorify me. And then a voice came and said, I have glory. He said, Father, glorify your name. What he was actually saying is, God, your name will get glory if I die. In my death, your name will be glorified. What that means is, glory uh, in the Greek means the following. To have a good opinion of. So God, let there be a good opinion of your name. He says there's already a good opinion about my name. How? Through Jesus' baptism. When he was baptized and took the sin of the world upon him and then healed so many people, the name of God was started to be glorified. He says, but I will glorify it again. How was his name glorified again? With a higher glory. When God co-raised man with Christ from the dead. Now, there's such an extraordinary good word about how the Father loves humanity because we can now go and preach that one died for all and the resurrected life now belongs to all so that those who can hear it can believe and be born from that truth. See how His name is now glorified with the highest possible glory. Jesus is God's word about your life. And my message to you is, let it be the heart from where you reason. Don't let it be a word where it is just a little message where you just find your identity in, let's just add this message to what I already know about God. That's the worst thing you can ever do. Let this be the only message about your life. Jesus. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for your great love. I want to thank you for this wonderful service that we could have had here. I thank you, Lord, for everybody that is here. I thank you, Lord, that every person's heart could be deeply touched. I thank you, Father, for your warm embrace. And as a congregation, as people watching via the internet, we say this, Father, we believe this word. We grab a hold of it with a purpose to make use of it. You know, if you've never grabbed a hold of this word, do it right now. 
Just say, Lord, I haven't believed the, the right way. Maybe I haven't been taught the right way. But what I hear resonates with my heart and I grab a hold of this and I make use of this as the only truth of my life. And this is the word, the bottom line conclusion about my life that is the core from where my emotions it is the seat where my emotions are seated in. It's the seat where my logic, my understanding is seated in. It's the seat where I reason. Is the logic of God's Word. Jesus and what the human in the right ha- at the right hand of God says about my life. Grab a hold of that right now. And just let's just all together pray these words. Let's say, Lord Jesus Christ... You are the word about my life. And there is no other. As from today, you are the bottom line conclusion about me. Your word saves me and it gives me life. Amen. Amen.